Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 13. Actually, before I, we jump right in here, I wanted to thank you for the follow-up. Many of you have been praying for, uh, for my dad, Kel, and uh, he remains in the ICU. They're still adjusting his oxygen levels, but he's sitting up a lot, which I think is a good sign. And uh, he's been texting a lot about how he's doing, so I know he's at least uh, um, well enough to do that. But uh, thank you for your uh, continued prayers for dad as he recovers uh, in the hospital. But uh, we're going to take a, a look here at another one of the responses that Jesus shares with those who are uh, drawing near to him as he makes his way south to Jerusalem for that final time. And uh, we're going to hear his response in a parable that he includes along with this. You know, we're told in John's Gospel, in John chapter 20, that there are so many stories, so many parables and, and things that Jesus shared that we don't have recorded. And so if we are reading something here in Luke's Gospel, it means it's very, a very specific reason that Luke wanted to include this uh, as part of his um, emphasis. And for Luke, the physician, that emphasis was on clarity, accuracy of the gospel message. He also emphasized repentance and the work of the Holy Spirit. So we'll see you know, these themes uh, coming to the fore here. And right from the mouth of Jesus, an example of such accurate gospel proclamation uh, at this point. So just to sort of bring us up to speed on where we are, hostility toward Jesus is growing uh, as he makes his way to Jerusalem, the folks that come to Jesus uh, have expectations of him. Expectations that he doesn't always seem to meet or to follow through with. In fact, he may do the opposite of what it is they expect. Um, not necessarily to uh, aggravate them or to get under their skin, but to show them the kingdom of God. Um, to really steer their hearts and steer their minds in uh, a new direction, uh, which probably shouldn't surprise us uh, coming from Jesus and the answers that he gives. He gives the answers that we need to hear, not necessarily what it is we want to hear. Um, and so most of the people listening to Jesus probably are not saying, well, that's a good word, Jesus. Thanks for clarifying that. No, they're, they're wrinkling their brows, um, maybe in confusion or disgust at what Jesus is saying. Um, even before we read this, that can be true of us at times. Um, it, can be, um, it can be a hard word from Jesus at times when he's so straightforward uh, in this uh, gospel message, but it really just magnifies the grace and mercy of our God. So Luke 13, I'll begin at verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, 
Look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The parable of Jesus to reinforce uh, this proclamation that he gives. Let's pray together. Lord God, we pray that you would tune our ears, tune our hearts and minds to this word that you have given to us. Father, we are grateful that though all else passes away, it is your word that endures forever. Uh, This word that endures. And so we ask that you would make us attentive now to this word. Show us our own hearts. Show us we must turn to you laying down the burden of our sin. Lord, show us genuine repentance and what this looks like. Um, And we're grateful uh, that you help us in this. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to feed us now through this word. In Christ's name, amen. Very gifted author, Max Lucado. No doubt some of you have heard his name, read stories by Max Lucado. And he tells a story of a little wooden people called the Wemmicks. And the Wemmicks are are carved wooden figures of all different shapes and sizes. You have tall Wemmicks and short Wemmicks, and you have skinnier Wemmicks than those who have been, uh, well, they've looked like they've eaten a little too much. Um, and some of them have no hair at all. Some of them have lots of hair. Some are dressed quite dashingly. And some of them um, really uh, are just plain everyday uh, clothes. And they live together, all the Wemmicks live together in this a village, and they spend their days, all day, every day, doing one thing. And the one thing they are doing is placing either gray dots or gold stars on each other. They just walk around the village. Um, and they see one who looks really nice, and so this one is covered with lots of gold stars. And they see one sitting off to the side, sort of in the shadows, and he's covered in gray dots. And this is what they do all day long. Um, and there's one of these Wemmicks called uh, Punchinello. And Punchinello is one who is covered in gray dots. He doesn't have any extraordinary skills, um, extraordinary looks. Um, an average, everyday Wemmick um, who's covered in gray dots. His wood is all scratched and he's somewhat clumsy. Um, and so wherever he would go, Um, he would get these dots. And I was thinking about the practice of giving stars and dots because it's a practice we are all too familiar with. Um, Certainly wasn't foreign to the the people gathering around Jesus. They want to to get Jesus' thoughts, maybe even confirmation as to why these people in Galilee had had suffered and died, maybe they had a few more dots than the others in the community. Um, And that's an understanding that continues today, doesn't it? Uh, If someone, there's a tragedy, someone dies prematurely, uh, someone has an ailment that maybe we can't explain very well, then maybe they've got a few more dots. They must have done something wrong. 
Maybe God is just a little more upset with them than he is the rest of us. Job's friends believe this. You know, they're calling Job to repent because he's obviously done something wrong. He's on God's naughty list for some, some reason. Uh, the disciples are in this camp. You remember um, the disciples in John chapter 9, the man who is uh, born blind, Jesus heals this man, but the disciples ask, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents? They must have done something. And Jesus has to correct them. So even today in our minds, when we see a tragedy, when we see suffering, either for ourselves, for another, it's easy to come to that conclusion and place, place dots. Um, because it's really comforting for us. Um, it is comforting for our own self-righteousness to place dots. At least I'm not as bad as this person or that person. You certainly wouldn't catch me doing that or saying that or going there. You hear the pride? You hear the self-righteousness? That attitude, that, that attitude cannot come from someone who sees themselves as desperately broken or sees themselves as the one in need. Um, I could spin this just, just a little different way. You say, well, I'm really a good person. Um, or, you know, he's really nice. She's really nice. You know, most people in America will believe that about themselves. That they're really, they're really nice, they're really good folks. You ask that, and you know, eight, nine out of ten people will say, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty decent person. Okay. And we believe that not because we are holding ourselves to some great standard of achievement or more morality, but because we have placed enough great dots on others that we can give ourselves that confidence. But before God, um, whose authority and opinion is really the only one that matters, uh, it's a very different conclusion. This is where Jesus goes uh, in this word. The people have some assumptions about themselves, assumptions about others. uh, And Jesus uses these assumptions to make a more uh, significant point. He does this by asking a question. This is what we're going to look at, asking a a very uh, specific question, answering the question, and applying that answer uh, to their hearts. Uh, he asks this probing question. It's actually two questions, but it's the same question. Two events uh, that happened in Jerusalem. We don't read about them anywhere else in the Gospels. Uh, these two events that killed many people. Uh, likely there were some who were offering sacrifices in the temple, and, and uh, Pilate orders them to be killed right then and there uh, as part of uh, in the place where they were worshiping. You know, what could that mean? They died in the, in the temple um, where they were sinners and everybody else. Um, and Jesus gives you know, another example. What about the stones that fell on you know, those 18 people uh, near Siloam? Were they worse offenders than you or than anyone else here in Jerusalem? And so the, the, the language that Jesus uses here is actually the language for debtors. Did these people who died recently have a higher debt to pay to God than you, than anyone else? Probing question. Jesus, Jesus is doing something with this question. He's, you know, he's looking, at their, looking at their hands, right, and pointing. Don't get scared, Ed, if I, if I point this in your direction. But he said, you know, you, you, this is where you're pointing. You're pointing at others, but if you have a really curvy thumb, 
it's, it's really pointing back at you. So what you're seeing in others, you're, you're thinking about them when you need to be looking at yourself uh, through this questioning. question we're faced with all the time. It should probe our hearts and we're tempted to, again, place these gray dots. Think, well, that, you know, that person had it coming. Try and figure, even trying to figure out the suffering in our own lives. Now, the Word of God um, does make a correlation between our obedience or our disobedience and, and judgment. Physical suffering may be the consequence of our own sin or the sin of another against us. But it doesn't have to be that way. It's not always that way. Again, Job is a great example of this. We see his suffering actually as a result of obedience, not disobedience. He would be, the Lord would draw this son deeper into closer to himself is why Job suffered so much. So we may suffer, and we often do, simply because we live in a broken world where sin is tainting and twisting everything. The darkness lingers. You know, just think of these things that, uh, that, that happen that we could never imagine, never predict. You know, a, a space shuttle that blows up. Um, the earth that quakes or a, a hole that opens and swallows so many. You know, we're going shopping for groceries on an afternoon and someone walks in and opens fire. Um, how do you explain it? Is this God's judgment? Um, they must have done something that brought God's disfavor. That's what many will say when those things happen. Um, but Jesus doesn't go there. So we need to be very cautious and others and for ourselves. We do not use physical pain and suffering as a measuring rod for sin. So hear, hear that in your own suffering. Where you may be tempted to think, well, what did I do? Where did I, where did I go wrong that this is happening to me right now? Or it's happening to my loved one right now? We can place a tremendous amount of guilt on ourselves for that type of pain and that this just think how the evil one loves this just to keep us feeling guilty uh, in the freedom that we have satan will use that that tactic any way he can um, now it's important to ask in this suffering in times of suffering um, are we sinning in some way is there a sin that i must confess before the lord Times of sickness and suffering, you always hear, you know, you're on your back in sickness. When you're on your back, all you can do is look up. That's the, that's the time to look up. Um, don't dismiss what God may be showing you in the suffering, the uncertainty. But sometimes there is no easy answer to that. Or it's an answer that's well beyond what the Lord provides us to understand. Think of the wise teacher of Ecclesiastes. We've spent some time with him these last few months. Recall these words from uh, chapter 9. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is, is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil. All that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. So God's grace abounds, but we know the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Um, so be careful in making those judgments 
about suffering. God sees. He knows the heart where we do not. And His plan continues to unfold for His people. So Jesus answers His own question here with one word. He says, no. No. Those who died were not worse sinners than anyone else here in the city. Each of you listening, each of you listening to the voice of Jesus has a debt before God that cannot be paid. So for every gray dot that you have you know, placed on someone else, a dot has been stuck on you. So again, that very simple answer, Jesus is saying, you need to, you need to wake up to who you really are. You need to see your own condition before God. Seeing your sin, or you also will perish. Yes, you will, you will perish in body. You will die at some point. But there, there's more to it than that. So often those physical things are, are symbolic of the spiritual. And those who are reading Luke's Gospel, they'd be very familiar with the destruction of Jerusalem that would uh, come in 70 A.D., uh, there was a lot of people that, that perished. There was physical death. But there's also a spiritual perishing. The very judgment of God. Jesus is likely communicating both here. Physical and spiritual death for those who do not see, do not want to see their own sinful condition. The tree with no fruit will be cut down. Um, so we, need to, we really need to hear Jesus' simple answer here. Not one person, and I need to say this again because I so often forget it, there's not one who has more gray dots. It's probably good I'm wearing this color suit today. No more gray dots than the guy standing right here. Than you sitting there. Sin is a, a, that universal disease and infects all of us from the womb. The guilt of Adam's sin, the death that it brought is, is imputed, it's accredited to each and every one of us. And so even though we are restrained in our evil, we're not as bad as we could be by God's grace, our rebellion deserves nothing less than eternal punishment to perish under the wrath of God. So if we desire to follow Christ, if we claim the name Christian, then we must, we must believe this about ourselves first. That our sin is an ugly thing, that we are in desperate need before a holy God. It's so easy to believe that about other people. But we need to look, look at ourselves. Apostle Paul, you could say this very honestly. As you and I must say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. We won't place our hope in Christ if we do not see our condition. Just how needy we are. So Jesus answers and then he tells them how to respond, and there's an urgency here behind this instruction because this perishing could happen at any time, just like it did for those people uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, if you don't want to, to suffer the same fate, physical death being the least of your concerns at this point, then you need to repent. Again, t- turning inward, shifting that gaze, be- bearing the fruit of repentance. And here's where that that parable really fleshes out some things. Jesus is communicating, don't think that you have all the time in the world for this to happen. Don't presume upon the patience and kindness of God. So this owner of the vineyard has been patient. 
He's been persistent. And yet there's still no uh, fruit to be found from this fig tree. And we see an even greater mercy as the caretaker says, well, let's just give it a little more time. Let me get some special attention and we'll see what, what happens with this tree. So Jesus seems to be making it clear that for the people of Israel, God has been very patient with them. And now in His coming, in the coming of Christ, they're receiving a little extra attention, an extra measure of grace. How are they going to respond to this? Will they bear fruit in keeping with repentance? That's Mark's language. Or are they going to be cut down at the owner's uh, return? So church family, we must be those who repent. Not just a one-time deal in our lives. Repentance is that change of minds, a change of heart, a change of the will. It's a change that can be seen in us. It will bear fruit when it is true and it's real in our lives. So that, that makes it this daily journey, a continual practice. Turning away from sin, turning toward obedience and holiness. Author uh, Paul Miller He says simply, repentance is not merely conviction, it does something. It actually does something. And I had a survey, several surveys um, a little while ago. Again, I can't vouch for the accuracy of these things, but um, the survey was that in spite of using or listing all the different ingredients on foods, all the different calorie intakes, that even when all that was said and done, people are going to eat what they want to eat. They're going to eat what they love to eat. So I thought, well, how, this could actually relate to repentance. You buy the, the Snickers bar or whatever candy bar and you read that it's got 10,000 calories or something like that. And you could say, oh, that's nice. It's got 10,000 calories, you know. Got to have a Snickers, right? Or you could repent and say, oh, it's got 10,000 calories. I've, I've seen this. It's been made known. So I'm going to move in a different direction. I'll put that in the trash and go find a different snack. Um, that's what repentance would look like. It, it would actually has hands and feet, it has action. There's a fruit that goes with it. Um, we must persevere in repentance. Lord, I did it again. I went there again. I said that again. I'm incapable of doing this on my own. Continual awareness of our need and weakness apart from the Lord Jesus. Again, Paul Miller, he makes a helpful comment. Uh, repentance can be dramatic, but most repentance is a gentle rain slowly softening the hardened soil of our hearts. Repentance can be just seeing yourself or someone else in a new way. I think with some of us hear that term, repentance, we have these characters in our mind. Uh, you know, maybe a repentant person is very emotional, very weepy when they're repentant. Um, or someone is repentant, then they're, you know, they're trying to maybe make up for their sin in some way, like, like serving penance. Um, usually there is some type of, of restitution involved, but there's not one character, not one posture that repentance looks like. Um, but a change of heart, a, a conviction of sin. When we're convicted of our sin that often, I mean, there, there's strong emotions that go with that. Okay, following Pilgrim here as he starts out his journey, as we talked about in Sunday school. Strong emotions. You need to be free of this burden. It's weeping. Where can I go? So turning from sin, obedience to Christ, that's something we need, um, will be seen in us and, and by others. Again, I'll, I'll mention the Puritan pastor Thomas Watson 
Because a great little book on repentance. And then he mentions what repentance is not and then goes on to talk about what it is. I thought a few words here on what counterfeit repentance uh, may be helpful as we go about our own, uh, own heart inspection. He says repentance doesn't usually come through legal terror. So you're caught in a sin, there's a great sense of, of guilt, may even have to pay the consequences for, for our sin. And so we're deceived into thinking that we're really penitent when there's actually no change of heart. We just have to fulfill the law's demands. And then once the storm passes, once we've fulfilled that requirement, there's been no heart change. We go right back to what it is we were doing. Counterfeit repentance because of the terror of the law. Another counterfeit here, um, repentance is just the, the resolution against sin. I'm just, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm done with this. Uh, kind of like those New Year's resolutions, right? Um, and we, we usually make these when, again, we, we experience that suffering where we're really sick or the family gets really, really hurt. Facing the unknown, we'll, we'll usually make these vows to God. I think of a you know, wartime environment in the foxhole type, type of place. Lots of promises being made. Lots of vows taken. Um, but when the storm passes, the love for sin proves greater. Um, much stronger. Um, he also says that we can leave sins behind and still not be repentant. Um, we can say, no, I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm going to going to avoid this, avoid that, but what we end up doing is we trade one sin for another. Um, we, we see maybe this, this particular sin, this has got a hold on us, and we see the danger of it, the way it's affecting others, and so we're determined to change course, but then we move into another, um, another area that is a sin against God. Um, he mentioned six ingredients here to to repentance as this spiritual medicine. Um, and it can be a bitter pill. Repentance, daily repentance can be a bitter pill, but all the more important perhaps even than the other prescriptions that we're using uh, from day to day. And I'm not going to go in deep here, but I'll, I'll give you just these uh, six ingredients. First, it's the sight of sin. We have to see it, name it as such. Uh, this is a sin against a holy God. And there's sorrow for sin. A genuine sorrow for sin. Or not just, well, if I keep doing this, I'm going to get in really big trouble with the law or with family members. No, there's, a, there's a, an agony. But this is a sin against God. This is breaking the heart of my Heavenly Father. Sight, sorrow, and then confession of sin. Um, repenting. Our confession even includes our inability to repent. Lord, I repent of my repentance. I don't even know all that I need to repent of. The confession of sin. There's a shame for sin. It exposes um, how unthankful we are to God. There's a hatred for sin. And finally, a turning from sin. Because we've seen it as a sin against God. This is not the way that we move towards Him in love. Um, and so we, we move a new direction in obedience. Um, so each of those ingredients must be present, at least to some degree, uh, there's going to be genuine repentance in our lives. So how much thought have you given to that in your own life? Uh, your own repentance. The Lord can take any one of us at any time. 
That's something we know. And yet in His kindness, we're still here today. He's given us another day of His favor, another day of His patience. He cares for us. He deals so very gently with us. So brothers and sisters, we have yet another day, another moment to repent, to know more of His grace, to know more of His love for us. In repentance and rest is your salvation, prophet Isaiah says. So Jesus shows His love. He shows His passion for these people by warning them of the coming disaster. And then He shows them an even greater passion by securing a way to be free from this disaster. Shows his love for them from beginning to end, warning them of the judgment, then taking that judgment upon himself for all who heed the warning, for all who repent and turn to him. That's how much he loves us. And that is even how, how we express love for others, right? Warning them, telling them that, that we too, we like them, should perish, but Jesus has rescued us. We won't do this. We certainly, we can't love this way if we've not responded to the call of Christ ourselves. So remember the Wemmicks. Remember little Punchinello? Uh, Well, Punchinello learned from another very joyful Wemmick that the stickers and the stars all over his little wooden body would only stick if he let them. If he really believed that they mattered. And so... This other, this other Wemmick told Punchinello to go visit the woodcarver who was just overjoyed when Punchinello came into his presence. Punchinello, I've been, I've been waiting to see you. Come, come let me have a look at you. Which shocked Punchinello. Why would the woodcarver want to look at him with all of his scuffs and scratches, all of his dots? Woodcarver says, oh, Punchinello, I don't care about those dots. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. They're Wemmicks, just like you are. The only thing that matters is what I think. And I made you. And I made you pretty special. And you keep coming back. And Punchinella would keep coming back so the woodcarver could remind him of that very thing. This is what the maker wanted him to do. To remind him of his love over and over again. So as you and I go to this table spread before us, that is what we're doing. We're being reminded again and again of our Maker's love for us. Even though we are scratched, though we are broken, though we are unlovely, God shows us over and over of His love. Do you you believe in the, the love and the grace that God has extended to you? That's the message of this parable. He is patient. He is gracious. That's the message of the table that we go to now. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this food from your word that nourishes us, uh, that moves us to consider our own hearts before you, to move us to repentance, to express our great need for you. Lord, if there is one here this morning who has yet to do that for the first time, to, to turn to you in repentance, acknowledging that they must be cleaned and washed only through the blood of Christ, may they do that today. 
Lord, may we all turn to you daily in repentance, modeling a repentant faith that our strength, that our hope comes only through you. Lord, we thank you for this table that you have spread before us. Table that not only reminds us of the finished work of the Lord Jesus on our behalf, but a table that continues to feed us. Christ, you are here by your Spirit feeding us. Help us to to receive, to embrace, and to, to feast upon you in faith. Lord, we thank you for this grace. We offer in Christ's name, amen.